I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Before I start the episode here, uh, I keep getting reminded that I forget to say a few pretty important things on this podcast. Uh, Even though it's my show, I forget to plug it and remind you to subscribe in iTunes or hit review or tell a friend, um, buy the records on a enemy or get your favorite DJs to do the show. All that kind of shit. I forget about doing all that. So if you get a chance, uh, please do that. And uh, as far as my gigs go, I'm at uh, Mauer Pfeiffer in Sauerbrücken this weekend with Grinvik. And uh, next weekend you can catch us at Straight. Uh, I'll be with Tommy47. And uh, I'll get you some U.S. dates uh, in the next episode or two here. Okay, I got that out of the way. This week's guest is one half of the Brothers Vargas. His name is Vidal, but most people know the duo better as Raiz. Uh, for you gringos, that's Spanish for root. Free little lesson right there. Uh, aside from more recent releases on their own VRV label, they're known for output on Electric Deluxe, Historia y Violencia, and of course, Droid Recordings. The latter is an offshoot from uh, their Los Angeles-based collective, called Droid Behavior, which also includes uh, Drum Cell, Truncate, Luis Flores, Dean Paul, Subversive, and a bunch of other people. Um, I'm sort of part of the extended family in the sense that I've known these guys for a long time. I've done multiple parties and records with them, and I'm kind of like that weird cousin that comes around every summer or something like that. Uh, I've been lucky to have a lot of these guys on the show, but I've been trying to get Vidal and Vangelis on for a while, and it just doesn't work out. But this time, I was able to swing getting Vidal in the door, and uh, we chatted about his own history with the rave scene, along with a bit of history about how Droid came around and what they look for when booking talent and putting together uh, really awesome productions. Uh, if you want to find out more about him, check out droidbehavior.com. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Oh, that's a little stiff. <laughs> All right, um, Raiz, welcome. What up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. it's uh, It's been a long time coming now. I mean, the show is almost reaching the, the end of its second year, and wow. uh, we talked about it before, but, um, you know, I only really get to do the episodes with people when they're in Berlin, and you guys have been around, but like I've said, with a lot of people on the show, it's really hard to get the schedules to line up. So yeah. I'm glad we got at least one of you guys here. It's a bummer we couldn't get Vangelis, yeah. but... I appreciate that. I think... Um, there'll be another time for sure. That's definitely true. I think uh, it's not, it hasn't necessarily been a scheduling thing. I think for me, it's been more now more comfortable and ready to you know, get on the mic or whatever and talk for a train wreck session. Totally. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it's... It's kind of a really hard thing to get on the microphone sometimes. Like uh I'm not I'm still not comfortable with that. I was telling you that before the <laughs> right. show. And uh, you know, some some guests come over like in you know, especially the guys that were in the nineties that had to do radio spots and everything right. and they put the headphones on and it's like they feel like they're at home in the office or something. Other guys come over and I'm like, Looks like you need another drink before we start, <laughs> you know? So I'm attempting this one sober just for anybody who's checking out there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyway, so we got a lot to cover, and I, I basically I'm just going to start at the beginning like I always do, and we'll work our way up. Sure thing. All right. Um, 
So for me, um, I met you around, I guess I met all the droid guys at the same time, which is 2001 or two in Detroit at the festival. That's correct. Um, which I believe you guys gave me a copy of droid number one, but I know that it kind of starts before then. So, uh, tell me about that. Yeah. I, I think droid one was like the culmination of all our efforts to something that was becoming a little more official or established. So yeah, I think I met Mo like in 99 or 2000, maybe 98. I don't remember, but it was kind of a chance meeting through someone that I was in, going to college with who somehow found out that I was into, you know, techno music or, or raving, I guess you would call it. So he's like, you have to meet my friend. He's, you know, DJing and making techno, blah, blah, blah. So he eventually recommended that Mo come see us play at some New Year's gig. It was like the Y2K gig, now that I think about it. And what were you playing at the time? Me and my brother were doing a live PA on on like two desktops. So was, was, this, was this Acid Circus at the time? Yeah, we were still called Acid Circus. Okay. Um, so he saw us play and do our thing, and he was, I guess, impressed. So we continued to keep in contact, talk about music, or organize little house parties and desert parties and just small events, even like some like proto warehouse parties. And then I think around 2000 or early 2001, it was probably late 2000 when we gave it a name. I said, well, what are we going to call it? So I thought about the name Droid Behavior because little known fact, there's a, a, a really good DJX record by the same name. And it, ah, that, okay. that, that that word or that, that title completely just stuck just, with you. Just stuck out at me and I said, we have to do something with it. So, we did, and we created logos and all that stuff, and the business cards came, the parties came, and then the the first record came pretty closely after. Mm-hmm. So that's how all that kind of came about. And then by the time we went to Detroit, Mo had the the first pressings of that of that first record. It was called Genetics or something. And uh, yeah, he was passing it around, and people were just really impressed, going, wow, I didn't think anybody in LA can do a hard techno record like this. And you know, a lot of people were actually supporting that record early on in the U.S. market, so mm-hmm. it kind of gave us um, our introduction to the industry or, or whatever you want to call it, and then in the United States. Yeah, and I mean, like I remember it too. And like at that point, you know, these days with uh, now that everything's much more global and on the internet, uh, you can take a right. guy from Arizona and he could sound like a record on Northern Electronics. It's everything's so kind of mingled together right but back then i I really do feel like a a stateside record for somebody around our generation or age had a little bit more of that jack and hard banging feel you know what i mean and uh that definitely was common but i mean like but it's also more rare i guess is the thing like yeah the kind of records that were popular at the time was ben sam's glenn wilson and the first joy record mm -hmm. was you know a little bit of influenced by that stuff but just nobody was expecting from someone from the west coast to do something like that so convincingly so and then the rest of the records from him and and ourselves and other people on droid came after and people were like oh these guys are maybe onto something Mm -hmm. so but i mean so you know you said that you you met mo on in 2000 you're already doing a live pa but like what what was the influences before then I mean, to me, it right, seems from, obvious. It yeah. seems like you guys always wear your your influences on your sleeve more, like Chicago and Acid and right. stuff. But did it start there, or I think for yeah, for me and my brother, 
our influences are a little different than like maybe what most influences are. Um, yeah, the, the first things I really grabbed with was kind of the, the grittier Chicago, Detroit, and New York records. Any kind of European records that sort of emulate that stuff, which is like records on DJX. Mm-hmm. Um, projects, I don't know, tons, too many to name. And anything from Detroit that was like on the harder end of the mill side, Jay Denim. Mm-hmm. Type Jay of Denim, DJ yeah. Rush, right? Of. Yeah. So we, you know, those are the first records that we were like buying and seeking out mixtapes, and like then also influencing our own productions. Um, but we were also into like maybe some electro, definitely a lot of um, IDM things as well. It's kind of hard to ignore that sector of electronic music when we grew up and started raving since like '95. So it's like you you cannot ex- ignore Warp Records, Aphex Winsa, yeah. and those definitely became a big influence on what we do as artists, and even sometimes what we want to play. Sometimes we do want to take it that direction, or sometimes we want to kind of curate in that mm-hmm. direction, even when it comes to the parties, yeah, event productions and stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, we kind of had those white influences, and they're still around today. And yeah, we still wear them on our sleeves. And it's not it's not uncommon that you might hear us kind of play and edit of some of those classic records that we heard back then and kind of breathe new life into mm-hmm. them and get, and get the, you know, crowd pumped up on it or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, also LA kind of had a, a badass sort of little IDM scene at the time or like, I think yeah, yeah. Kit Clayton and stuff. Actually, that was more San right. Francisco, right? But just the West coast in general. Like a lot yeah. of people were coming to, uh, to LA and, um, there was definitely some kind of IDM electro party going on, and we also went to those. And what, what was going on, it was like, when we were starting out, we were basically just trying to align ourselves with anybody who was kind of fringe uh, um, electronic music out, just outside of the rave scene. Because by mm-hmm. that time, um, the rave scene had just kind of completely gone progressive trance and more commercial and just the kind of music that we didn't want to be associated with. But we still like to dance. We still like electronic music. It was still our life. So we told our support and associate ourselves with these fringe scenes so we went to events that would kind of produce those type of events with Phoenicia or like plaid we would also go to a lot of the breakcore parties they, they were bringing out like um somatic responses current value and we became good friends with a lot of these people and eventually started kind of intermingling with them in terms of like dj sets events that we we're producing and like I guess to some degree production a little, you know, yeah. I could definitely hear some, a lot of most drum cells, you know, more experimental records probably yeah. influenced by that kind of stuff. And also a lot of the sets that me and my brother play, cause we actually play a lot of things that are not techno back home in LA. They're also kind of grabbing from those influences. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we somehow were able to align ourselves and it kind of grew that whole techno scene stronger and stronger over the years. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think uh, not just the scene in general, and, and we'll get to that, but like, you know, today where all the droid guys are, whether it's together on the same label, label or on your own kind of solo projects, I think that kind of, you know, those influences are going to be a little bit more evident than, than ever, you know, and not just solely techno and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, it, it's been, I guess, would you say in November it's 15 years? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's already 15 years, probably since January. I don't remember the, the exact date, but, but that's this, when... is, this year is the 15th year anniversary of Droid, and we've kind of been branding some of the things we've done mm-hmm. so far. Like the Droid compilation that came out here this year was already branded as 15 year anniversary. The 
What's up with that comp, by the way? I mean, um, part one came out. Yeah, part one came out, and it it had a track from Marcel's Raiz, Louise. Oh, not Louise. He's on the second one. Sorry, it was Raiz, Drum Cell, Truncate, and Victor Carrillo, who's also been a part of Droid for many years, kind of in the background and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a long time for us to get the, for the record to come out, but we're happy when it did. And uh, I think. I don't. I, I'm not going to speak too much on the other songs on that compilation, but for us, the song that we contributed, "Ephemeral Beings," was was a pretty big deal to like share that with everybody else because there's kind of a little bit of a backstory behind it that um, my brother kind of injected into the whole production. Um, he was he's kind of a little more spiritual than me, or, or I don't yeah. know how you want to describe it, but he was doing a lot of readings about music that's written in 440 hertz and 432 hertz so oh uh, yeah so this song is written in i guess 432 hertz i don't know whatever i yeah. get them mixed up sorry about that which is i think the, it's 440 right right so he he got the one that's he wrote in the frequency that's not what's um standard westernized yeah music currently and once something to went to something that was back in time when those much more harmonically pleasing um, both on the ears and also on its effect uh, sonically of what it's touching. And this has been proved through cymatic experiments. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about it. So, So, And my brother's kind of into those kind of things, which is great. I I love it. It, um, When he tells me about these things, it definitely makes me think twice about what I know know, in society or or science and, and do some more research. And um, the song is called that because he feels that uh, it seems like what we're seeing is like a, a global push in society towards maybe more extremes and negativity at times. Definitely. So unless we change our ways to something that's a little more harmonious or more harmonic and, and um, produces a positive effect, we will cease to exist. Yeah. So when he told me that concept and he wrote that song and he did the mix and all those things and we were kind of going back and forth even about like the kind of little videos that we want to to produce to promote this record I was completely blown away and very eager to to share that story with you know whoever would listen. So mm-hmm. we did make some small videos it wasn't being too crazy but it was just enough to kind of get people to take a the second look and a second listen at a song because I think most people if they just see a techno track on people they're like oh cool I can maybe DJ with it you know yeah and this if you're not a DJ even less of effect but if they see this story and they see the video that kind of exemplifies the story they might have a, a little bit more of a connection to it so totally so I was really happy about that and we have other projects that we've done and we will continue to do on a similar level where there's like just a little bit of a concept behind the tracks that we're putting out. So yeah, not just here's a bunch of drums, right, have fun. Right. Stuff I mean, like we, that. and we like, Which those that's two. awesome too. Yeah. yeah. We like those two, but sometimes we like to have a little bit of a, whatever, some type of substance, or at least some story behind it for, or even if it's just for ourselves. Hey man, dance music could use it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely also been a, a big topic in the last few years from many sources. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We, to some degree, we contribute to that. Once in a while, but yeah, mm-hmm. we could use a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, substance or whatever. So we'll, we'll inject it where we can, but at the same time you can't like overdo it. Cause then it may 
ruin the groove and you know yeah. it may just overdo it and it well, won't really make it an effective track and honestly it can be a, a real big challenge when you don't have vocals telling you that's true what it is you know like that's you, always you know, been a big thing yeah like you, how do you derive that message from since but like i think there's nothing wrong with attempting to uh, push that but, yeah like, you get the feeling like oh this is not some gothic uh dark techno track this is like a uplifting like we don't always need to be in a shitty mood right, during right. the party you know that's true but but even back on that same subject like yeah i think it's okay to to try and tell a story through your music just through synth sounds and maybe sound totally. sound design alone and yeah you don't hear that so often in the, in the dance tracks so that's why once in a while we'll do it in the dance tracks but also we do it in some of our other projects like the permanent heartbreak stuff um and just just other things that will play out you know we mm-hmm. want to kind of show people like there is some range you, you can feel a certain way we do want to kind of push people to feel a certain way you know provoke them provocative and um the more we can find ways to do it the better i think yeah i mean i th- i think uh you know i was going to i was going to bring it up later but i think we should just do it now like especially you have a kind of a new project i believe is on tape Right, right, right. The uh, it's like kind of R and B sort of hip hop, right, right, type techno tracks. You want to go into that a little bit? Yeah. So um, basically, I I put out a tape just a few weeks ago called Lean Tracks, Volume One, and basically it's just my my take, my my techno remix influence on a lot of the kind of big hip hop trap and R and B songs that that really made an impact on me in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So, so some of them are, you know, like kind of commercial, but regardless of that, I still thought they they had like enough of the kind of simple dark production value mm-hmm. that resonates with the kind of music that I like in general, whether it's techno or industrial or ambient or, you know, some old 90s IDM stuff, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like it has some of those elements and I'm like, wow, I got to share this with other people. And yeah. Another thing about that is I'm very conscious and aware of like my surroundings where I live. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously I live in Los Angeles and the U S in general, this music is huge. Mm-hmm. You, you can't ignore it anymore. I mean, I don't know if you ever could. I mean, hip hop's always been pretty big, but I think it's actually even reached another threshold of popularity in the U S in the last few years. Um, so much to the point where like a lot of electronic music fans are even more into that than it used to be in the nineties. Like there's yeah. more of that crossover. So Well it's it's not just hip hop anymore right. either. You know, you have like some of the electronic music synth sounds to it or you have you know what I mean there's a it's not like the nineties where they tried to fuse new metal in hip hop or right. some shit. Like yeah. it's uh <laughs> I'm not gonna necessarily say that it's done any better now, but right. it's uh a little bit more calculated or or you know what I mean? Like it and uh i mean for me i kind of i've honestly given up on hip hop to a degree in the last handful of years i still like it but uh i don't know i'm i keep getting pulled in towards rock and roll more and more that's always been me but yeah i mean like dude you know in the last uh damn that album for example is massive this year right right you know and um it's not just hip hop anymore it's it's uh that is popular yeah, exactly music, that, that's you know what, what i mean like it has crossed over into the the threshold of popular music even more so than 
you know, the first 15 years of its existence. Mm-hmm. So you can't ignore it. And to me, a lot of that stuff, regardless of it being popular or commercial, or whatever, like it still resonates with me a lot. And not just me, also like a ton of people that are around me that are actually supporting the, the kind of events and music that we're doing. Like mm-hmm. they live, they live in, and love this music when they're not in the parties in the techno party, when they're not mm-hmm. in the droid show, this is what they're listening to. This is what they're all about. And so am I. So I thought I'd make a tape as an homage to that and do these remixes. And I, obviously I had tested all these songs out for like a year and a half in LA. And every time I play them, people went ape shit. So I'm like, well, something's working. We might as well like, make it official and mm-hmm. put it out. It was similar to the way when maybe you did the green velvet, uh, edit on CLR. Yeah. Kind of just solidified two different things, put it out and you kind of made this like, you know, badass DJ tool. So this is a similar s- situation, uh, you know, except for this, we're just like, I'm going to use these tracks from future or like, um, Kodak black or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was kind of a, that thing. And well, yeah. What can people expect if they want to check this out? If they're curious, like what kind of uh-huh. artists or is it all kind of like hacked up to the point where you don't want to give out names? No, no, it's pretty obvious. Honestly, like I, I even give credit to all the artists on the, on the tape sleeve itself. So <laughs> it doesn't matter to me, but, um, and I even made little videos actually as well that are basically edits of some of these other people's videos, but we kind of like technified them. Yeah. By adding the filters on exactly. We totally had one of my friends, um, he goes by astral projector and he did his like little glitchy thing to it and it looks dope. It mm-hmm. definitely kind of suits both worlds, but uh, yeah, it's got like future Drake, um, party next door and Kodak black, which are, just kind of newer acts that are more associated with like the Atlanta trap sound mm-hmm. in terms of, of like the style of hip hop that they're doing. So Panda, Panda, Panda. Right. Kind of like that. Shit, like, I mean, that guy's more useful, but yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, that I'm, type I'm of, just fucking around. <laughs> that type of beat production. And actually I really like that beat production because yeah. what, what I'm seeing is that the, the trap sound from Atlanta, like was able to move away from like the New York boom bap thing. And then they, they even moved away from like these more kind of like, horn and synth driven trap songs that were using like some of Kanye's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, mercy singles into something that's like a little darker, a little smoother, but like very brooding and driving. And like, like, again, that's, those, those are the kind of elements that I want to hear in other types of music that I listen to. So it really struck out to me and I had to do something with it. So. Awesome. You know, and, and you mentioned the art and like, cause there, there's a lot of the, I didn't write it down, but I kind of have a lot of ideas and questions I want to bring out about, like, with the art with VRV, which mm-hmm, is your label. You. I don't think we really uh, brought that up yet, but right. VRV is is uh, kind of like the Raiz sub-label right, of Droid. project thing. Yeah. So basically, the story behind VRV is, like, you know, myself, my brother, and Subversive, who's also an original mm-hmm. member of VRV, like, we're, we want to start our own sub-label that's still kind of associated with Droid, because obviously we're associated with Droid and all the music that we put on there and a lot of the people we want to include on there are related to this whole like legacy that we've helped build for like 13 years mm-hmm. prior to that. Um, so yeah, the artwork is like an amalgamation of like my own graphic design prowesses mm-hmm. and my sister's collage work, mm-hmm. which is featured Vanessa, on yeah, shout out. Vanessa who's featured on many of the releases as well for either stamp arts or like inserts or even some of the jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she's, She's kind of new to collage work, but um, she's actually... She's doing a great job yeah, with it, though. Yeah. She's already gotten up a little bit. You know, she's definitely done quite a few commissions and actually sold and actually been, you know, had little gallery shows and whatnot. Um, so proud of her, and I'm, I'm happy to 
be able to, you know, include her work when we can. Yeah. And she knows us better than anybody else. So, like, yeah, if we want to include, like, physical art, not just graphic design, Mm -hmm. she's, you know, one of our first choices, so. Yeah. And, I mean, like, across the board, like, even with Droid, all the records have had a strong visual identity to it. Um, like obviously very future uh, techno, yeah. Uh, and and I mean the parties uh, are infamous for a bunch of reasons, but I'd say the visual aspect is has become like one of the main things, at least stateside, if not yeah. in Europe. Like that's a a major part of it. And then that's very true. I mean, we're very lucky that we attracted a lot of kind of you know, nerdy people from all walks of life, DJs, producers, visualists, installation makers, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, like max MSP programmers, yeah. <laughs> everyone you can think of like sort of just gravitated towards us and video editors. Like we want to work with you to some uh-huh. degree since the very beginning. And we have implemented a lot of their work. Um, some people have become more permanent fixtures um, like Octaform who currently does visuals for us and even some of the, like other related things enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think he's done some things for like black noise, which is most side label. And he's done like little promo videos for just any kind of droid later events. Um, yeah, he brings a whole nother dimension of, of visuals that I, it's, it's, it's hard to match that with what I'm Definitely. seeing in the U S market, you know? Um, and we've had, we've been lucky enough to feature him at a few of the showcases here in Europe. Uh, we've also had like some very talented graphic designers, Derek Michael, who was part of Detroit underground actually really kind of helped formulate some of the early droid releases with like mm-hmm. the kind of look and the template and whatnot. And then, and even the the flyers as well. And then later on, I, I took over and I started to really sort of, I don't know how you want to say it, like pick up from where he left off. Okay. But in a different way. Yeah. I, I kind of streamline things a little bit more. I work with other designers too that are, very talented as far as like composition and and these other kinds of elements that are important and i I don't know i'm just very happy with what with what's happening with with the way our whole brand looks whether it's droid or vrv if it's if it's just a facebook instagram or like the Mm -hmm. records or the flyers like i think they'll have a uniform look yeah consistency is key you know and i i think it shows i mean uh you guys, well, I, I feel like the interface parties have slowed mm-hmm. down quite a bit. Yeah, a You're still bit. doing Prime and stuff. Right. We kind of switched gears in that sense where it's like, because the the landscape of, of LA Nightlife changed where, at least for us, it was becoming harder to produce all these really big uh, underground events. Mm-hmm. And we were having opportunities where we can produce quite, you know, relatively big sized legal events with, with the help of people like Prototype. Mm-hmm. We had to take the opportunity to kind of like, still bring in the the good music and showcase the sound that we're about but take a little bit less risk i don't know we felt more we can be more creative in that sense of like or not because but more consistent at least with producing these legal events and still making them feel like our parties like there hasn't been a a prime event that we've done outside of the smaller venues that we started which were medusa and then complex Mm -hmm. that hasn't you know had like a a thick vibe, like there was no dry eye, yeah. dry eyes in the house after the party. Like it, we were able to somehow manage to carry that very energetic atmosphere over from all the small venues or the underground venues, even to this venue, because I think our fan base is so loyal. Mm-hmm. We've done a great job of like just um, trying to get people excited for what we're doing, educating them, regardless, you know, still. 
So I think because of all those things, yeah, we're still having the similar results of like, oh yeah, it still feels like a droid party from like ten years ago. People are still going crazy. They still yell. They still like bang on the speakers, and they don't want to go home. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's, that's like a trademark of at least for ourselves a, a good droid night out. Well, I, I think it extends to like I mean, you guys also team up with uh, you know Blaine Code guys every right. year in Detroit, and that's always kind of. Uh, one for the books, you know. Yeah, it's o- always always, <laughs> always a fucking madhouse. That's true. I mean, um, Blanco guys are very talented and are strongly rooted in Detroit for many years mm-hmm. since the days of Friction Detroit. And I don't know. They've had so many names, honestly. Substance right. and all these, and that, yeah. You know, so we're we're very fortunate to be able to team up with them and kind of like sort of. You- you know, unite a lot of the U.S. techno scene for the one weekend. Yeah, yeah. To I some mean, degree. but that's in my opinion, that's what the festival comes down right. to to this day. Like, that's true. People that are kind of going around now, that's great that they want to go out and see, I don't know, whatever Loco Dice or Ben Clark right. or something, and uh, as they should. But uh, to me, the core of it is always like get all the techno nerds in one small, like four square mile radius for about seventy two hours and see what happens. You know? and, and that's true. And I've been going since the beginning too, so I've also. Um, which is like why we Seen met you. All. Yeah, yeah. That's how we met you through the first record. I think it was like the second DMF. It was called that. And yeah, we just noticed that whole like uh, tight knit Midwest community, but also people were coming mm-hmm. from other parts of the U.S. And then many years later, now we're getting people coming from Europe mm-hmm. and other parts of the Americas and whatnot to just join the festival and be, you know, part of the fun. And and it's had a great effect, positive effect, I think, on the festival itself as well as all the after parties and anyone who's involved with the the movement weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, lineup-wise, it's always been really varied. Like, both the parties in Europe, across the United States, and L.A., like, you, you'll have, you've had many legends, and then you've also been open to booking, like, completely new talent or, um, you know, people that are maybe somewhere in the middle or whatever, and kind of a i don't want to say an open door booking policy but more open-minded rather we like to think so anyway <laughs> yeah um just turn the mic just a little bit towards Whoops. your way there there we go all good uh yeah so um i mean a lot of people that listen to this show are djs either still in the bedroom or hitting the road every weekend and listening to this on the plane um as a promoter they're always you know, curious to see like what it, what would you look for in booking in an act, or you know, like what what inspires you? You know, because yeah. I'm sure you get people that are like, "What the fuck, dude? When are you going to book me?" Yeah, or I mean, you know, only every hour. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I think in the beginning we were, we were booking a lot of people that had never been to LA, and it was really easy to do that because so many people hadn't been to LA yet. Like it was it was not a problem for us to debut Speedy J or Surgeon. Or like you know, Chris sleeping in a warehouse, even though he had played, yeah. he had played like ten years before at a massive rate, and it was not hard for us to debut these guys and make like a, a big deal out of it, and and also make a huge impression on, on all the mm-hmm. people who showed up because like people were not used to seeing them, yeah. And when they played and did their thing, which we were already familiar with because we've already been following their records for ten years prior to that, they were completely blown away and had their opinions changed on the whole genre in general, and you know that was a kind of like the big. Um, draw of our events and it still is in a way like we're you know it's harder to debut someone that's never been or yeah. never been never been heard of because of the internet because there's more people well, doing this and that but the warehouse scene is on fire right now too it like, is there's so much happening so right right and um yeah it's it's great 
so we we just have to try and find a way to present something that's just a little bit different than what everyone else is doing, but also still within range and taste of like what a lot of the droid artists support and kind of stand for, you know, mm-hmm. like there's still some artists that we want to stand behind and, and really feel we have a connection to, and we love to try and feature them when we can. So, you know, like for instance, we'll be doing a show debuting Steve Bicknell pretty soon. And, um, I don't even know if he's ever been to the U.S. I honestly don't think he has. He definitely has not been to Los Angeles. And for us, it's a big deal to present somebody who like made such a huge impact on the U.K. techno scene and the, and the world techno scene, period, and is still out there doing things. So, you know, that's kind of like if you're asking what we're looking for, we're looking for someone. Sometimes we're looking for someone who has that kind of history, mm-hmm. but, but still has like a very powerful output even now. So... That's a good example. Yeah, no, I hear you. And then, so, I mean, like, you know, like you said, there's still some of those names that have yet to seep through. Right. But, like, uh, let's say new guys or guys that do have a couple records out now and they're still nagging. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, demand is a big factor. Like, right. if it makes sense, yeah. But, like, uh, you know, is there something that you're looking for musically in someone? Or not know. really? I mean, I, I like all the techno, so. Like, yeah. There's, I sometimes will play the more industrial stuff. Sometimes I'll play the more Jack and stuff. Sometimes I'll play more acid. It's, just, it's I guess, more of a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. Like, who's who's available when we're ready to do a booking and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I guess that's, I mean, that's kind of how it's been now. Before, it was different. Before, we really had to, like, do the research and do the reaching out. These mm-hmm. things are not that way anymore because the market has grown. It's kind of gone a little saturated. But it's, in general, like, things are more much more accessible Really, mm-hmm. so that's that's has made it enough. That has had an effect on maybe the way we do things, and not just us, but I think other people as well. How would you feel the U.S. market is right now? Because everybody's always asking about that. Uh, yeah, I, don't, um, I think the the two coastal cities or the two coastal markets are probably a little more, a bit more active than they used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've always been a little bit popping, but they're really, really busy right now, and um, it's, it's a good thing, obviously, for DJs who are touring and stuff. Um, I think some of the other markets, like in the Midwest or the Southwest or it's whatever, they're still still a bit slower. Although they have their their moments, they have sure. their moments yeah. where they they still pull together some strong showcase. And we're we've been fortunate enough to like be selected for a few of them once in a while. Mm-hmm. So we're happy for that. Um, but yeah, I think more people are coming coming around to the techno sound for many reasons. Like it's been kind of almost uh, I don't know if the word is commercialized, but <laughs> Let's it's, say it's more accessible. Yeah. Been popularized in Europe and in the U.S. through festivals and through through more kind of like accessible acts, you know, like drum code and whatnot, and, mm-hmm. and whatever's going on at the Insomniac festivals, booking kind of more mainstream techno sound, like whether it's the um, Richie Hot Richie Hot presents yeah. or Carl Cox presents and all that kind of, all those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. in turn, yeah, that will influence kind of new ravers to get into something harder and then once in a while some of that will trickle down into things that are a little more underground mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. so and also would also breed more djs more producers and more promoters yeah so they're everything it's all across the board everyone's kind of getting um influenced by that to some small degree i mean from from a an outsider perspective, it seems like LA is kind of whether it's big or small is relevant. But there's a little bit of everything at the moment. Like it could be beat and techno, it could be 
like you said, drum code. It could be like that lo-fi house where everybody has a right, DJ right. name from a TV show uh, or yeah. something. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that. but uh, so there's everything there. But is there kind of maybe one thing that you think kind of shines above everything else in L.A.? Not by your personal preference, right. but seems to be the, the, the king shit right I now. I don't think so. I think, I think it, it all depends on the night. Like any night, depending on how strong of an event you're producing, you could be the one. Yeah. I mean, your sound could be the one. Like the, the industrial jealous god thing could be the, the hit of the month because they had they had a great event. Mm-hmm. But then the next month, like could be back to whatever droid business or or maybe in the month after that, like they want to do the lo-fi thing. DJ Seinfeld, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, which you know whatever that's a whole another funny subject. And I we still play quite a few of those records once in a while. We do our edits. I mean, I, I really like that stuff. But yeah. I, I actually I've never really been to a night where they play a whole night of that stuff. It's, I don't know if it's I've hard to me to kind of fathom. You maybe, know, like maybe I don't know if I've been. In Berlin we have Ohm and they do cool bookings, which is next to Trezor. Right, right. But that's yeah, a little bit more times. like on the DJ Sotofet type okay. vibe or something, which kind of gives a nod to that world, but it's not like the full on Or it's still a little more technical uh, side you of know, things. Rhodes organs through a distortion pedal type shit. Right, right. Know? Yeah, that's definitely um it's a big thing and I th- I've heard a lot of opinions about why it's so popular, and um, I think what I'm, I think what we're maybe kind of seeing is that people who might be coming from a, a live music background, you know, maybe playing guitars or drums, are training those in for you know old drum machines or old samplers, mm-hmm. and they're making music that's whatever based on electronic music, and it's not hard to using those instruments and using those tools to kind of achieve this. Uh, very gritty, gritty proto proto sound like proto house proto techno mm-hmm. like so yeah you're getting people who are doing this and they're doing this in a kind of a live pa setting to some degree mm-hmm. and I, I do see that actually quite popular in la and other parts of the west coast where people are kind of coming from a live pa background and doing like live noise pas live techno-ish mm-hmm. pas and you know lo-fi pas or whatever and it is sort of cross uh breeding yeah. or whatever or there's some crossover or with yeah. with like the, the underground techno scene or the whatever techno scene and the house scene and there's like underground scenes and there's a lot of attention towards it there's so much press about it it's, it's like it's hard to ignore so like that also has an effect on people's opinions and um tastes totally so you know ali's no stranger to being affected of those things you know mm-hmm. we're no um exception yeah I mean that's kind of the nice thing though. Like I really, I really like Berlin has a lot going on mm-hmm. on, on any given weekend. And bec- to be honest, I can't comment on a lot of it. I'm not typically here on the weekends. <laughs> but like, really, when it comes down to it, your options do get severely limited. Uh, you know, like if we go on RA right, right now and right. check out the event listing, there's probably going to be. And this is no exaggeration, at least 70 parties for Friday night right. in Berlin. And most of them are techno. Well, there's that, but a lot of them are just like, shit, you're like, I've never even heard of this place before. Mm. And it's you look at how many are attending and it's five people. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of nights that are trying, but like usually everybody ends up at the same places that have been open forever, right. Watergate, uh, Burkheim, Trezor, yeah. whatever. And that's fine. But uh, whereas I feel like you go to New York or LA or... Um, you know, even Paris or something like that. There's a lot of shit going on with a lot of different styles. You know what I mean? It's not just yeah. one kind of focused sound. Well, I think I think that has, also has to do with the kind of 
real estate and the landscape of those certain cities. Like I, I can't comment too much on the other cities, but obviously living in LA, I know why it's like, um, you know, there's a 2 a.m. liquor law. There's mm-hmm. like a, a huge real estate issue as far as like one side of the city is like 30 miles from the other. You know, people want to go where things are accessible. People want to go where things are late. And if those particular things are playing whatever lo-fi or, or, or hard techno, that's what they end up hearing. And mm-hmm. that's what they like. Um, you know, the, the, the way that kind of laws are set up. It really detracts uh, at the moment, LA, from having uh, a legitimate and legal Late nightlife. Action. Nightlife that will push more daring mm-hmm. and um, interesting bookings. Yeah. The only clubs that can stay open is maybe most of the time could afford do yeah doing like more accessible bookings. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very lucky that actually the, the the prime event that we do now is with these guys can prototype. And they're one of the few who have been able to like do great bookings at a legal venue and not have to compromise of like, well, we have to book, you know, certain progressive DJ just so we can fill the house. Like, no, we're we're still, you know, getting five hundred people in there to see Anthony Parasol or like um, you know, Matrix Man, whatever, Len Foggy, you know, th- people mm-hmm. that are not necessarily like Carl Cox or like Digweed or you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like so we're lucky, and but also has a lot to do with the people behind it, like whether they're teamed up with the right promoter or just the kind of connection they have to the local scene. Like that's a huge factor. It always has been, and it probably always will be. So we're lucky to be on the right side of those things, I guess totally. you could say. But um, I mean, for a lot of people uh, might not know this because this show is fairly global. Uh, California kind of recently tried to change right, right. that law, right? But yeah. uh, I heard it didn't go through, or I didn't really pay attention. That is correct, and we're, I think everyone in the nightlife is eagerly awaiting for when, you know, we can get up to speed with the rest of the world, and, or at least the rest of some of the parts of the country, and finally implement a 4 a.m. liquor law. Like, there's definitely been people in the nightlife who've been lobbying for that for the last few years, seems like they're getting closer every year. Still not there yet, but I think if and when um, a, a 4 a.m. liquor curfew can be implemented into the LA nightlife, it will change things um, at least as far as like how much or where we can get quality bookings and be able to produce quality shows and showcase ourselves, maybe even be able to grow that as well. Just as an artist, like I want to be able to 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 do my thing and not to worry about like if you know we're getting busted or this and that totally. like those those things make you worry and um you know they also just don't create a guarantee sometimes but mm-hmm. I don't know people are still lucky and still getting away with things which is great um but yeah well, I mean I I I pay attention to all that but at the same time I want to also be able to pay attention to just like what are we also doing as artists to kind of maybe add to the the musical palette you know. Whether mm-hmm. it's something new or just something that's more honed in that that people can enjoy, whether it's in LA or other parts of the world. Yeah. So dig this. I was thinking about this for a minute. Like, yeah. because not just LA, but mm-hmm. a lot of the United States has the two AM curfew. Exactly. Um I'm it's not across the board, but I I would say a lot of the techno that comes from the States tends to be of the harder variant or darker. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't. I would say the stuff that kind of gets more recognized. There's still a lot of badass people like Lucas and all this mm-hmm. that aren't really 
balls to the wall. Right, right. But I would you? I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think that maybe that's a side effect of only being able to go till two? Like you got two hours to gun it? Because in Europe, oh, maybe, maybe not. I never thought about that actually. I, I, I think, I think that might be because just the people who are producing those type of records, they're more, they're just more influenced by that side of techno. Like maybe they came up in a in a, a, a '90s hard techno era. Like mm-hmm. myself and probably yeah. like yourself, and this is just what we like. We just like it hard and fast and like gritty and nasty. But um, I've seen more popularity actually rise in what I was talking about earlier. Like, there's more people kind of coming from a live, uh, like a music background, right? A musical, yeah, instrumental, right? <laughs> that that kind of live band background and, and kind of getting into electronic music. And the first thing they they start making is kind of like proto techno and and other kind of lo-fi uh, genres. And I'm seeing a lot of popularity of that in some of the coastal cities, so including ourselves. Like I'm definitely seeing seeing in LA at, at these kind of noise slash techno parties, which is a little bit of a different scene than what I'm involved in. But I still observe it. But um, yeah, some of it's good, and I, some of it has a little influence of what we're doing in the studio once in a while. Like yeah, we yeah we do like to make it sound like it's coming on a tape, you know? Like, I mean, I, I, I think like it's... I do like that sometimes. It sounds dope. So. I, I think it's necessary to have that sort of outside influence. Otherwise, yeah. um, it gets, like, too incestual or something. You know what I mean? It can get too samey, and that, that is true, and that's why, like, I do like to look at, you know, new scenes that are up and coming and um, take cues from them if I can. Like the diff, I, I'm still learning all the time as a, as an artist, even as as a producer and a DJ. Like still learning, always open to learn. I want to hear the new music. I want to hear the newest thing coming out, and I want to see what of it completely relates to what I like mm-hmm. and implement it back into my sets or into my records. Mm-hmm. I'm like a huge proponent of that. Same goes for my brother. Like most of the things I'm saying, I think a lot of, a lot of these things he agrees with. Like. We talk about these things constantly. You speak this, on his behalf. To some degree, I think so. Like, you know, I live with him. We All we do all day is talk, 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 and make tracks. Talk, 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 and make mm-hmm. tracks. So, like, a lot of these opinions are things that him and I have already... You arrive at of, together yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, we've talked them to death to some degree, so... You know, and I, I think you're on to something there, though. Like, it really... I I think music is going in that direction as, as time goes on, because, first of all, everybody's doing home studios now. Yes. Like, the whole big label thing is over. Um, yeah. And, and you have people, like, you know coming from more uh instrument based backgrounds like i saw yesterday which pick for pitchfork i before i even saw i just saw the fucking headline of it i'm like this is probably a pitchfork article because that site's ridiculous <laughs> but it's like has thurston moore made a a techno record right. you know from sonic youth right right is it and the first paragraph is him like berating it how it's like a bunch of bullshit and so, then the second paragraph's like he made a techno record and i'm like both those paragraphs seem completely realistic to me because, you know, there was like the one thing where Iggy Pop was getting into a car like a couple of years ago and he's like, oh, I fucking hate techno about just being <laughs> Iggy Pop. And it's like, well, you probably heard Steve Aoki or something and right. that's your assumption. Yeah, maybe. Now, I need to believe that, well, maybe not Iggy so much, but definitely Thurston Moore. Like if you heard some of these like... I don't even want to say like total noise records, but some of these more stripped down esoteric records that are more atmospheric. I, 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 for me, it seems like a natural progression in a way that'd be like, oh, I got to make something like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's possible. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's, um, I, I don't know if I can out anybody because I don't know if they're, but there's, there's like rock producers that have made records for techno labels 
that uh, right. well, whether the, they're the one good guy or from not. Red Hot Chili Peppers, he did some acid projects. Oh, Fushienti, yeah, right, but right. Um, I actually haven't heard that. But it's like the, these people have tried because it's there is something to it, you know. Like the other the other week, there was a picture of Kanye running around in an underground resistance shirt, <laughs> and it's like, well, the deal Are you sure is it's not photoshopped. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Like he's from Chicago. He's kind of always checking shit out. Like right, at some right. point, I really think he's going to do a little bit of homework and arrive and be like, okay, these guys are fucking rad. I mean, the thing it's to possible. remember is... He's definitely sampled already House Records. He's sampled Maurice Filton yeah, on, yeah, on, he on, knows a, on a, a single. Shit, you know, and like uh, the other part of it is you, you got Underground Resistance, like, sure, are... Well, actually, your parents might know of them because your parents have been out to the shows. Right, and stuff. they know who they but are now. Yeah. Most people, it's not a household name, but no, not really. still, back then, they sold a shitload of records. Yeah, I don't even true. know how many copies Final Frontier sold, for example, <laughs> but it had to be a ton, you know? And yeah. like, uh, so it makes sense that a guy that's kind of into music, well, saying Kanye is kind of into it is ridiculous, but mm-hmm. like, who's definitely into music, like, how can you ignore that sort of, whether you want to know it or not, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, it's possible, and you know, he has a lot of people around him as well who who show him music and introduce him to different things. And he does it on purpose. He probably very likely keeps yeah. those people around who have their ear to the ground to report back to him. Like this is also a thing. This is also how things came about. And you have to listen to this. This is where this is the root of this or that. Blah blah, blah et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I, I this happens with producers all the time. It's like good ones, they they need to absorb shit. Mm-hmm. Like I was telling you about some projects I got going on right. before the mic, and one of those guys, he's like. I need to get into your world. We need to go record shopping. So last time okay. you see her in Berlin, I'm like, all right, fucking put your shoes on. We went to Hard Wax <laughs> right. and I picked up 300 bucks worth of records for them, you know, but I gave them all the classics, you know, like yeah. basic channels and mills and all that shit. A couple of the new things that are hot, a couple of things that I knew would be relevant, but really are not anything special, but mm-hmm. it's relevant to his taste. And I'm just like, have at it. And, uh, you know, you got to absorb that stuff. Even some things like I gave him Maurizio 5, you know, the really dubby record. Right, right. He's like, it's just a drum loop. Do I need to have this? I'm like, yeah, you need to have it. I'm like, <laughs> you might not like it now, but you're going to like, You'll it's one of those loops later, later on. Yeah, like when I heard the loop before, I'm like, that's cool. But the, all these years later, I remember that loop more than most techno loops. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, listen, I've been around. You can always sell this if you don't like it, but I know you won't. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people have to absorb things and keep looking so mm-hmm. i'm definitely one of those people i don't want to shut myself out i mean yeah. i don't know if anyone really does that too much anyways but uh i, I just want to make a point man. i want to make a point of it. like you know i really me and my brother really want to keep looking and, and searching mm-hmm. and, and being influenced and soaking it up and then spitting it back out with our twist on it to mm-hmm. some degree so i mean it's like uh it's incredible these days i, I really feel like a promoters maybe not yourself but mm-hmm. promoters tend to book people that have this tunnel vision uh, because they want they want to know what they're booking or they're getting, right, right. or at least in Europe. And yeah, two, I wouldn't doubt that. And 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 two, uh, DJs kind of just want to have that tunnel vision. Like I've talked to some guys, and they're like, "I only do the big room thing. I don't really give a shit about like the selector stuff." Then you got guys that are like, uh, "Listen, man, I just want to be known for playing weird ass records. I don't fucking care about you know whatever is right. bigger, you know." And it's and mm-hmm. they only focus on that. Whereas for me. I go to the record shop every week and it's like sometimes I buy a banging record. Sometimes I buy like, uh, you know, uh, I just bought the new Dan Bell on Thomas Melchior record. Mm. I don't think I'll ever play it, but like I just love to absorb right. everything. And, you know, I, I really believe that having all that influence and listening to different things will only open more doors for you. 
That's true. I agree with that. Um, I think what you're saying about some people kind of only sticking to the one style, it seems to work for them. I, I've, I've actually noticed that. Well, I think it works better than, than not doing that. Right. Success-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think in the end that tends to have a um, an expiration date. Yeah, probably. I mean, we, you, I mean, we could all we could both sit here and think of some names where we're like, "Oh, that guy was on fire for a minute, and then never really evolved," or you know. And then you could you could argue like, "Well, Mills has always been on his own tip," which Mills always comes up on the show. But it's like, mm-hmm. well, he's had a he's had a lot of different periods. You got Purpose Maker, right? You had like the really noisy shit, like Waveform transmissions and whatnot. Right now, he's on the like the fucking classical instrument UFO tip and whatnot, <laughs> and uh, true. so. I mean, you know, some people, I think it's fine to have like, this is my focus for the next few years, mm-hmm. but to sometimes people milk it for too long. Yeah. I mean, and then there may be negative effects because of that, mm-hmm. depending on who the, the examples that we're talking about. But, um, I have noticed that, and actually I was going to say that I've noticed that in the difference between maybe what I'm hearing from DJ sits in North America or, or, you know, where I live versus what I'm hearing out in Europe. I think it's over here. It's much more common. And I, I've had this conversation with a few people. So bear with me. Hopefully I don't sound like an idiot. I'm, I'm, I'm actually want to know about this. So it's very common here for techno DJs to effectively do an extended faceless techno set. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean is, they're playing a lot of kind of um, very stripped down DJ tools with not a lot of happening, but they're able to keep the momentum going to the clubbers who are already in the zone for many other reasons, you know, mm-hmm. because of their intake. And then they sprinkle in a few hooks, a few anthems, whatever, get people energized again, and then bring them back into a, a, a faceless zone. Mm-hmm. it's actually pretty cool honestly like I, I've seen some DJs do it and they do it quite effectively they do it at a lot of the big clubs here mm-hmm. especially in Germany yeah, yeah. Um, but if they do it effectively it's pretty badass especially if you're in the zone with them but I don't feel like that is something what I that I hear too much working in North America I think in North America people have shorter sets this is the, the what I've had to deal with because I've been able to play both markets consistently Especially now, like I play mm-hmm. a lot in the U.S., way more than Europe. But even when I come out here, I notice the difference. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to mix it up. You have to. You only have a short amount of time to time. to make an impression on the crowd. You may have an hour and a half, two hours max. You have to like blow them away with quite a few different things, or or if it's just one thing, it's it's got to be a very strong, impactful thing that's memorable to some degree. You can't like I don't know, give them the the, the repetitive thing for for two hours and expect them yeah. to go, oh, yeah, that was a great set, like. I don't know, but I have definitely noticed that over the years I of, of coming back here, and I, I don't know. It's I think it's something that's interesting, but it's not something that I hear that's addressed very often, unless I just I'm not reading the right articles or I'm not hearing the right interviews. But like, I do not mm. see people writing about this or talking about this anywhere on the internet. At least not enough. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not even something worth talking about. But no, I I think not only is it worth talking about, but I think. Uh, it's a massive difference and that's mm-hmm, that's yeah. you know it's always kind of been that way like and i really think what it comes down to is the longer hours and this is yeah, what absolutely. i was suggesting earlier with like 
I guess what I would say, yeah, I said earlier, like harder techno was popular in the states, mm-hmm. but I think it's just like this two hours we got to like keep it moving, right, throw right. it in. Like you and I both will throw in house records or Chicago right. tracks. Where it, and when I first moved to Europe years ago, I was doing that still all the time, and it was working. But then after a while, I realized like honestly, this like up and down um, right. dynamics doesn't work unless as well. it's a after party thing. It it doesn't work out and you kind of have to smooth it out more. I think it's because you got more time. And honestly, I think it's because people over here are a little bit more high. Like, yeah, you know, like they're, they're used to a certain They're used to going out for well. six, right. eight hours. And Absolutely. that's in the average European country. Now you talk about Berlin, it could be three days. So they're like, <laughs> dude, we got time. We don't need to blow all our nuggets in one second that's here. True. So basically, um, you know, and like the thing is, is, uh, I didn't do it for a long time and I started doing it like again maybe a year ago is actually um asking people in the crowd their opinion not when I'm DJing but right, afterwards right. like what are you into or something and right. that that's a dangerous uh thing because they're excited to talk to you about music which is cool cuz I like talking about music but then they go off on like have you ever heard of this guy and it's like some random dude on SoundCloud or whatever and it's like okay it, like this is getting too far down the path right. but um, you know, when you talk to these people, they're just like, man, you know, I just need it to be kind of steady because mm-hmm. I'm really fucked up right now. And then there's other people that are like, dude, all these guys, it's just like dark drum tracks for four hours. It drives me nuts. I need a break beat or something. So not everybody's on the same right, page, right. but I would say more often than not, it's because people are just, the, the partying's a little bit more prolonged out here, you know, and it's, in the states is definitely more alcohol driven. Yeah, I think. at least in the club environment. Totally. So. I mean, for both all, all the environments because of all the restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's no, nah, that's not on the recording. Okay. Sorry, that's. What... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, there's always a lot of differences between North American clubbing and European clubbing. I only bring those up because of the, those are the two countries I've had the most experience with in nightlife, and yeah, a lot of it has to do with all the restrictions that we have to face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we want to go crazy and go late and go all night, you have to do, you have to go underground, which has some other kind of risks involved, which can be fun and they can work to your benefit. But like, that's what it is. It's a risk. You know, you're like rolling the dice. Um, but yeah, the way people play as well is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's some people who are able to kind of do that steady faceless thing for many hours and like only sprinkle in a few kind of change-ups and if they can do it effectively, they can actually even please all the, the, awesome. the punters. It's yeah. like, oh, so, you know, I think a lot of people may be striving to do that here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like it. I, I It influences me sometimes as well as a performer. And I do uh, do my rendition of it sometimes when I'm playing whatever tier over there. I mean, I'm into it too. You know? Yeah. And the other part of it is I think those tracks, honestly, are a little bit easier to make in the studio. Because yeah. you don't have as much of a... Um, if there's not like a a hook or a vocal or something that's mm-hmm. potentially cheesy or off putting, right, right. it's easier to keep uh keep it everybody appeased. So you can just keep put playing those tracks and not have to worry as long as they're locked in. So that takes me to my next point. The 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 fucking trance thing is huge right now, and I don't right, want to go I've too deep that. into it because it drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, I could do a whole show about it, but okay. um. Yeah, like, it, of course it's big because if you have three or four hours set from a dude or a girl and they're playing, like like you said, dark faceless techno, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, yeah, if you sprinkle in a track that's got, like, this, like, 
you know, and thematic em- hook. Or yeah, something. this emotional chord progression. Of course, they're going to go nuts because that's the first moment in three hours right. that there's something emotional to connect to besides this right, kind right. of fucking shit that's going on the whole time. You know, exactly. And that's yeah. You're probably that's why that this trend mm-hmm. has happened and, and kind of blown up and become so popular on a uh, I guess like maybe a micro level. I don't know if, how popular that trend is in other parts of. Uh, Germany or other parts of Europe? It's fucking massive in Europe in general. Oh, in general, okay. Hasn't really done, it hasn't crossed over that much to the US. Mm-hmm. There's a few people, yeah, they their names are, are thrown in the track list and stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm not hearing a lot of that in the clubs, which I don't know, maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I, I don't, some of that is not what I want to hear when I'm hearing TechnoSip, but I do respect the idea of like, we need to change it up. We need to, shock some we need to shock the system oh, so that, that's my favorite parts of the set right like i like when someone's to drop like an old school carl craig track right, in the, at the in the middle or like you know what if you want to drop uh like something that has a nod to trance or something i'm more i'm probably likely to buy that record but right now it's like every right, techno guy that's putting on a record right now it's like got this goddamn trance progression because they all want to be that exactly. track there's a lot and, of um there's a lot of trends setting here more than mm-hmm. other parts of, of uh, Europe, probably. I think actually mm-hmm. even Berlin specifically, there's a lot more trend setting going on here than other than other places. And it does have an influence on what you're hearing in Europe because this is kind of like this. Well, this is the, the capital of techno and probably the whole mm-hmm. world, but definitely at least Europe at the very minimum. Yeah, I mean, it is to a degree. I think a lot of people don't really uh, contend that. But at the same time, I guess the grass is always greener, but I look at you go online and look at what's happening in London or Paris mm-hmm. or even Amsterdam. Like, there's a lot of shit going on that's maybe even has a little bit more variety. You know, like uh, if if we look at Berlin lineup again this weekend, it's going to be it's all going to be in like a very similar couple microcosms. Whereas if you look up uh, what's going on in Amsterdam, you might have uh, one night that's Oscar ton artists, another night that is. Uh, you know, in tech or whatever. I don't even know what's popular right now, but like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I agree with that. Definitely in the booking sense. Yeah. Yeah. In the booking sense, I think everywhere's like doing their, doing their thing and they're killing it. I'm just saying like, I feel like maybe the kind of, on a microcosm, what's happening in Berlin as far as productions or DJs, like that influences spreads to a lot of other little techno sectors in other parts of Europe. And that's why I say it's kind of the capital of, of just specifically techno in Europe. Mm-hmm. But everyone in the rest of Europe is still producing great shows of all the varieties, whether it's disco or house or deep house or like UK bass. Like everyone's still kind of killing it where they can. God bless their souls. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, that being said, like, and you said you you like everything and you're um, open to everything and, and, and playing it. But like, is there something right now that you're kind of leaning towards more in general? Would it be like your, your kind of hip hop techno tracks? I think that, that thing... That particular element is something that I think has really made us stand out, like f- from miles away from anybody else in the U.S., which I think is fine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. If, honestly, don't think a lot of techno DJs like that. They they probably think it's stupid and they hate it. But I don't. I'm not really doing that project for them. I'm doing this more for a lot of the, my friends and fans in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and especially LA, who like they fucking love. They eat and sleep and shit this more than they do techno. Mm-hmm. I want to connect with them. I want to show them like that I can do something for them too. You know, like this is for you guys. Cause this, this is also yeah. for me. This is what I'm also all about. So for me, it's a big thing. And we've been doing, 
We've actually been doing like kind of hip hop and weird stuff edits since the very beginning. I mean, yeah, one I mean, of the very like the first, up the jam, right? Like that stuff. Like we're, we've always been doing edits, but even specifically like hip hop stuff. Like I think in the like one of the first Acid Circus uh, digital releases was a uh, some kind of like weird Fifty Cent remix. It's kind of really strange, but I've just always been following hip hop and seeing if this way I can cross the mm-hmm. bridge. I mean, it's not it's not uncommon for like hip hop to be heard in other parts of electronic. Like, yeah, there's plenty of house remixes of all that shit. Like, it's yeah, nothing new. From base, like that's nothing new. But I haven't really heard that explored too much in like kind of like harder techno. So I thought maybe if I can give it a shot and see if I can pull it off, I'll we'll try. And me and my brother kind of worked on it, and mm-hmm. he really helped me make the mixes kind of what they are and what I'm just happy to present and see if people will will like it. And a lot of people download it, so I mean, it was free anyways. But a lot of people really responded, so I was happy about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a couple things, a couple ways to look at it. One, it's like why, why go over after a piece of a pie that's already there? Why not right. make your own? And like you said, there's actually a lot of uh, techno heads that are like diehard hip hop heads. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe they don't really show those influences in their tracks so much. Maybe they do. Like I think Alien Tape is totally influenced by hip hop. Right. It's more like the the dusty grooves kind of like record bin digging. Uh, you know, more yeah. old school hip hop yeah, variant. But um, then, you know, you're right. There isn't a whole lot of nods. Like, for example, for me, I don't give a shit about future, for example. So it'd be less likely to, <laughs> right. to come after me. You. But the, there are a lot of people that do like future and maybe they like that influence. I mean, it's like, whereas you, you get all these old uh, user records, that's Liaison's Dangerous. And like, right. you know what I mean? So it's like if, if it can happen with like rock music or post punk or whatever, why can't it be done with, uh, you know, rap music? To yeah. Some degree. And, um, I don't, you know, and it, I've kind of felt the same way. Like at first with, uh, Brian black, black asteroid, mm-hmm. when he was kind of telling me like his concept, like I'm not trying to do the faceless thing. In fact, he's very much the opposite of right. it. You know, it's more of a rock like performance thing. And I was like, you know, I, no, I don't think that's going to work because at first nobody was doing that. And I'm like, I don't know if there's any, but right. he's clearly uh, found a way a to make that work. Yeah, it for and him. I mean, whether um, you or I or anybody else is into it or not, there is a, a world for that. And I feel like if, if, you know, what the fuck, why should everybody adhere to like, oh, we can only do this or that? Like, I think it's cool to do your own thing. You know what I mean? Fuck trying to please everybody because you're yeah. <laughs> never going to make everybody happy. I try to it's make true. everybody happy all the time and all I do is end up, I'm like Larry David in some days where it's just, just getting mad and complaining. I told you with the emails that I got even before I right, came right. in today, it's just like you can't win sometimes. So you just got to <laughs> do your own thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. But um, you, you're you here now. You just did Trezor this weekend? Yeah. And how'd that go over? It was okay. It was me and Drumsell played... Um, it wasn't the busiest night we've ever played, but it was it was solid in the sense of like we both played well and mm-hmm. the people really respond to what we were doing. And um, you know, staff at the end of the night was like, "Keep going." They didn't want us. To, they didn't want yeah. me to stop. But uh, I'm just happy to be here and like totally. do my thing. Like, uh, it's becoming harder and harder to get bookings outside of the U.S. if that's where you live. Yeah, and if you can get them, like you. Man, what, if, what can I say? You just like <laughs> if you live in Europe, it's harder to get that, bookings, that too. So, uh, that too, or so. not even so much in the states, but just in Europe. Like I think what people fail to realize is that it's um it's been a huge change in the last year and a half. A lot of like the middle ground is really shrinking. 
So you have, um, you know, take your pick of the the top fifteen or twenty DJs. They're still playing three, four gigs a week right. for uh, you know making in one weekend what a lot of people make in a year or two. Right. Um, and then you have people who are doing the like two, three hundred bucks and crashing on the floor kind of thing. But like a, a lot of people in the middle have seen a major decrease in gigs because either the promoters are, don't want to take a risk or they would rather just say, I can book, um, you know, this A-list guy for, yeah, even though it's going to be like 10 grand, I guarantee to get my money back versus I don't know if I'll get 500 bucks for you, yeah, you know? So um, it's, I don't I want to say it's all doom and gloom because there's still great parties going on. There's people that are, are kind of like doing, you know, boosting the torch and all that shit, but it's... uh. Yeah, it's not as easy as it used to be. And when you talk to people on the road, it seems like everybody's struggling a bit. So, um, yeah, I it's, it's an interesting time. Like, uh, And I also think, uh, you know, you were saying earlier with your brother he's, how he can be a little bit more spiritual or at least like more open to different uh, suggested ways of like interpreting things. And right. Like, uh, you know, in our industry, uh, there's a huge push right now for correcting maybe what's the best way to put it improper social norms, whether it's misogyny or getting more women on the bill or like right, a lot right. of these like very valid, um, you know, points, points and whatnot. And, uh, that's just what's going on in our industry. But then like you look at what's going on this week in the States with the NFL and like people that are wanting to take a knee or not take a knee or show up for an anthem and shit. And it's like everywhere you look uh, in every industry, there's like some sort of, uh, I don't know if drama is the word, but there's like weird shifts where like people are kind of button heads a bit. That's just the time we live in. And um, yeah, there's more push and pull. At least there's more spotlight on it right now because it's because mm -hmm the social the media and the social media has that kind of access so maybe those opinions have always been there but there's more spotlight on it but yeah i agree with that like yeah and that's kind of what we're talking about like with that record that we did for the droid compilation is like we were really starting to see that already since like last year mm -hmm. like too far oh no you're good i'm just grabbing the um it wasn't necessarily so much as like butting heads but we were seeing just more of the, these kind of negative influences influences mm -hmm. popping up and and really starting to push forward so a year after that is when we start to see more things coming from the other direction, pushing back. And now we're, now we're coming into the situations where we have, yes, NFL's creating controversy or there's um, people lashing out when someone may criticize uh, misogynistic views in the DJ industry, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like yeah. that wasn't the case about two years ago, but we're seeing it more now because whatever people are. It's just been brought to light. People had enough and. Yeah. For, for rightly so and whatnot, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I think in that regard, it's it's a really interesting time. Promoters don't really know what to do as far as like who to book, what's safe, what isn't, all that. And I, uh, a lot of people are kind of scraping by. But I, I kind of look at it personally. I, I try to look on the bright side, and I think for anybody that is trying to to make it, like if you can just hold on, it'll this is kind of a natural way of filtering out a lot of people that either a, they just can't hack it or B um, are in it for the wrong reasons. And then once they're kind of gone, it, the, the doors open up a bit and maybe you can keep playing again. You know, yeah, that's possible. Know. I'll, I'll continue to look around. I mean, at this point, like I've invested so much in, 
of my life into this music that I don't know if I can really walk away, walk away and yeah. change career. Like, you know, I'm probably always going to be listening to techno mm-hmm. or some variant of that type of electronic music for years to come. And maybe also putting my versions of it mm-hmm. out there. So it's kind of hard for me to like walk away just because it seems like opportunities are starting to close in or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, you're right. Some might filter out and, People may walk away, and we'll see what what happens. Maybe we'll go back to square one where things were not popular anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Because I definitely saw those days, and they were tough, but whatever. We overcame somehow. You know, the thing is, though, is like, you you know well, because to say that, like, droid uh, broke techno or something might be kind of a push, because I know there are promoters that were pushing, like, Jeff Mills and shit like that mm-hmm. before you guys came around. Yeah, but sure. I think it's very fair to say that you guys picked up the slack in a time where there was a lot of it, you know, to help kind of reignite yeah. things and introduce some shit, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've experienced firsthand what it takes to, like, help reignite or build something. And at that point like yeah maybe it was tough to get the numbers but i feel like there was maybe more excited or diehard people there right there was because you, know? you had less what it was you had less of that experience happening around or outside of what i was doing mm-hmm. so it was definitely easier to stand out in that sense mm-hmm. um but yeah we definitely like at least in la or west coast like we did our damnedest to build a scene from nothing from ground up and um i think it's still applies to that like we still do things where we're trying to kind of build bridges between different um nightlife communities to make yeah. sure that things still are happening and things are still growing and things are still sort of like staying fresh or relevant and uh i don't know it's probably something that will always be a part of what we do because you kind of have to you can't we can't just like stay in our own bubbles like, yeah this is it we're the shit like it's it's like not gonna, dinosaurs yeah we, i mean i want to be a dinosaur so yeah. we we have to be very we have to navigate the the nightlife very delicately to do all those things mm-hmm. successfully and um whatever we we it's not always fun but we try and we do and yeah. you know we're still here 15 years later and um i don't think we're any less popular or relevant than we ever were we're actually kind of i don't know where there's zenith but we're we're doing all right you know yeah. people still have a lot of respect for what we do and we still have a lot to do and a lot mm-hmm. to say yeah, and I mean, like, so there, there's that aspect, but like to to continue on what I, what I was getting at is, so you 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 also know what it's like to build that up, mm-hmm. but then let's say nowadays, if you know, no one need to even throw names or parties out there, but like, let's say you go to a party that has a lot of hype, maybe it's like a Hollywood thing, a big name DJ, or maybe it's just a warehouse party with a lot of hype, but you go there and you realize, like, okay there's a part of this crowd that are diehards that have been here and they'll be here after these people leave. And then there's some people that are just like, this seems kind of like a fun thing to do. Like they're not fully committed. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like that's happening in Berlin a lot. Here, okay. here I they, don't doubt it. Here in Berlin, it's been going on for four or five years now. They call them like easy jet ravers. Right. The tour, the techno tourists. Yeah. Like, because tourists. it's what, what people do is they'll fly into Berlin for mm-hmm. a weekend for like a hundred to 200 euros. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's technically cheaper to go out and spend a weekend in Berlin and get fucked up and have a great time compared to going out in London or something. And uh, so um, a lot of people love to do that. But then when you start reading about it in magazines or in blogs and stuff, 
that's why every weekend when you go to these clubs here, the, the lines are super long. There's a lot of tourists. They they heard like, oh, I heard this is the place to be. Yeah. And then you get inside and you're like, this is still cool, but you can tell. The atmosphere has been compromised. They're, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're just kind of putting on the, the clothes or yeah. taking them off rather. You know what I mean? And um, But they're not adding to the energy. And yeah, I've, I've, no, I've definitely noticed that too over the last, I don't know how many years we've been coming here. We, I think we the first time we went to Bergheim was like 2006. Which we were actually there the same okay. night, yeah, and we never ran into each other. Really, it's funny. funny. That's strange. But you know, yeah, going and seeing how things were there back then, and then kind of seeing how things are a little bit now, where you're seeing getting more people coming from other parts and touring. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have that kind of dance floor energy, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just want to be the show and tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. I mean, we've we've dealt with that kind of stuff in LA. We always will, honestly. Like, that's nothing new. There are always going to be people who are there just because they want to show and tell. So, like, what can you do? But I guess you don't want to necessarily see that when you come over here. I don't know. Whatever. I think it's evident everywhere. I mean, honestly, like, the worst place you can experience that is probably Ibiza. I mean, you could say that for... I don't doubt that. I've never been, so I don't know. Okay. I mean, like... (laughs) Maybe one day. (laughs) You've been to Vegas, right? Yeah. And, like... Definitely done Vegas. But Vegas is is definitely more um, pop in the sense that it's like really high money. Whereas like you can go to a visa and still run into, um, in by all definitions, underground people. Like if you and I go get some ramen after this, uh, there could very easily be guys that are cool or girls at, that would be playing in visa, but still be susceptible to that, you know, kind of right, shit. Right. And honestly, I mean like that stuff doesn't really bother me though. Like I, it's just, you have to accept that that's what it's going to be. You mm-hmm. know, like if, um, I don't know. I don't really want to come up with a shitty analogy, but that's like in every walk of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're probably right about that. So whatever, we kind of just uh, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, you know, you've been around. Uh, when did you first go to your first party, for uh, example? I think I started going out in 96. Okay. I, had, so, I was already familiar with the music since like the year before. Yeah, that. like so. 20 years-ish, you know? Like, yeah. You know, for me, uh, next year will be 20 years for me. And um, you kind of see it all. People come and go and you're like, whether they're really like good, genuine people, you're like, man, this guy is awesome or whatever. Or then you see people that uh, you're like, oh, this person's a piece of shit. <laughs> but then like, where are they now? You know what I mean? Like they don't even, they're not even on Facebook. Like they fell right. off hard. And like, that's why things that might kind of uh, annoy me or, or give me a negative feeling now, I'm just like, you know what? That topic or issue or person will not be in the picture in two years, right, and something else will take its place. So that's, that's just, you got to be very zen about it. You know? Exactly. Um, and that's true, and you you do have to kind of keep that mindset and um, remember that. Yeah. I got to remind myself a lot some days, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I've, I mean, you're probably even more surrounded by nightlife stuff living here than, you know, myself. Oh, it's, it's if insane, I, man. Yeah. I, I don't doubt. I mean, just the times that I'm here, which is, an, I'm only here for like a few weeks at a time. I'm like a little overwhelmed sometimes, but, uh, it's still fun and something different than what I'm used to. So I have to enjoy and appreciate oh, yeah. and explore. I mean, it's great, but it like, it's definitely like being in the nerve. I, I guess I would say it's probably the same in L.A. in regards to the whole, um, you know, the Hollywood actors and actresses, that whole yeah, scene. Where probably. it's just like, if you're in that... I don't that, frequent that, but yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, doubt. like, this is kind of that 
translated over here, but for music and stuff like that. And it's like when you're living in like that nerve center, you're always susceptible to it. Like you go to get some food or you go have a drink or, or whatever, like uh, you'll run into somebody that's from it or you hear a story and it's mm-hmm. just like you know, your, your mind's always working and you can't shut off. Whereas if I go back to the States, if I'm hanging in Minneapolis, it's like a vacation for my brain because I don't have to worry about the good or the bad things. Right. You know what I mean? I'm just like, cool, let's hang out with my friends and maybe my worst part of the day is that I got to shovel some snow, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you're in the winter, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're, you're you're kicking it in, in Europe right now. Yeah. And uh, you're heading back soon, but like, do you, do you have other things coming up? Like, what's the plan for the fall releases or whatever? Um, we have another tape coming out on VRV. Um, it's actually some, a project that was presented to me by a, a new producer in LA who's actually kind of more on the lo-fi tip, honestly. Yeah. And he, he kind of gave me this really cool left field, like house and broken beat release. And I said, hey, let's put it out. I like this. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought the production on it was like a one and a lot of the songs told a story, you know, his, his whole story is that he, he's, he grew up as an Asian American or a, a Chinese American child in the u.s so he kind of a lot of his song titles and the samples that he uses kind of references that as well as the artwork which i thought was cool he has like a little concept to his his release mm-hmm. so we're putting that out um we're doing another record on vrv but that probably won't be out till next year and then there's the part two of that droid compilation that i was mentioning and that one has louis flores subversive um hyper and i think Lichkey maybe i don't know i could be wrong okay When's so, that coming out? Do you know that one? It better be out before November because then we're <laughs> then we're in trouble. Yeah. So you know that's kind of on Mo's end, but I I still help out a lot with with any kind of campaigning when it comes to anything droid related. So that's that's what we have going on for releases, um, which is it's not a lot, but it's not bad. And then we have a lot of things related music wise uh, or gig wise around the U.S. You know, like we have a lot of shows in L.A. and just a few things outside of L.A. So. We got to just focus on those and make sure like everything's tight and everything's right. So, mm-hmm. and do, do you see like, uh, are you you know you and your brother? Would you call yourself the guys that like kind of just like let's say oh we'll just focus on making maybe a record for now and take it as it comes and goes, or do you see yourself moving towards like a a project based initiative? Like we want to do an album this year, or we're going right, to do a series right. of three tapes, or um. Definitely, we want to attempt project stuff. Whether we can get there or not is another story. I, sometimes it's hard for us to like coordinate ourselves in the studio. He's like super busy with work, and sometimes it's hard for us to be inspired at the same time. For me, I'm always wanting to work on music because I don't. That's all I do is like stay at home and do droid and write things. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard for me to like always want to work on music. So in that sense, like we do develop a lot of. EPs like we have tons of EPs that we develop whether we they will see the light of the day I don't know some of them do some of them won't but we definitely do that in the sense of like we want to do certain you know certain projects of a EP of a certain style that we that we like like some stuff we only want to do the kind of core dubby harder driven sound that we're mm-hmm. known for sometimes we want to do stuff that's a little more closer like the, the ghetto house thing that we're also big on yeah um sometimes we want to do stuff that's a little more kind of deep and trippy like ephemeral beings and then we have some more experimental projects like the permanent heartbreak stuff which is um 
it's not necessarily experimental in the sense of like it's some IDM warp stuff, but it's definitely down tempo. It's not techno, and it is emotionally driven. Like there's definitely a lot kind of, of like a blue pop sort of vibe or something, so, something like that. It's just like yeah. you know, it's it's our emo project. So, yeah. um, these are all things that we're constantly working on. But it's like for us, or at least for me, especially like the the main challenge for me is just like getting the mix right like i'm constantly having to learn that process so it's it's not easy Man. and it's always like something to learn or relearn so that's kind of what keeps me you know up at night or, or working in the studio and not having finished my projects yeah i mean mix downs are uh it's it's a never-ending struggle yeah i mean like be. just when you think you're like you're you're kind of riding high you're like i think i got this down yeah then either it gets stagnant or you realize that it's fucking up or it's been a year and a half and you it was never good to begin with. <laughs> I've been through all of those moments yeah. and I will be through those many times more. And yeah. um but I I I'm really not interested in um like the technical side of mix downs, but it right. is a necessity, especially considering I write my own music. I don't give it to an engineer or anything. Right. And if you find, if you do that to, to get it to sound better, fine. But like, uh, you know, like learning about, uh, will this piece of hardware, this plugin, like push it just a little bit better? Or like, how can I get to that point? That stuff drives me nuts, but it, it is, it's part of life. And it's I try, important if you're trying to make music for a living, I think you got to put out something that, that sounds right. Yeah. And is actually going to work in the setting that it's supposed to be performing in. Mm-hmm. So like, it's super important and, we're constantly learning this and I'm constantly like sitting and learning from people um, who can teach me about the different methods or what I'm supposed to be listening for or looking out for. And uh, I definitely take all that knowledge and apply it to what I'm doing in the studio. And I do hear better results every single time. Like, Oh shit, wh- whatever I was doing last year is like mm-hmm. miles away to what I'm doing this year, you know? So, yeah. And, and like you said, you're listening to other music. I think mm-hmm. that also is a huge impact too. Yeah. You learn things that you can apply. Like the one thing that I, I had a problem with is when I was, um, you know, I had to learn a lot of studio shit on my own because, uh, growing up, I think Ian was the only okay. guy that was around that was doing <laughs> studio stuff with me. And like, he was, he's a very smart musician. Right, um, right. studio wise, like technically he's not, an idiot by any means but he's not he's that's not he doesn't really care either about okay. compressors and shit so sure. um but then again you can like you could go this is kind of pre all these internet youtube videos and stuff but you could get those magazines that's like how to get the best mixed down with uh whatever in normal music or hip-hop right. you're like that doesn't apply to me i make banging ass tracks right but then once you grow up and you get older you realize like oh yeah well there's still a bunch of that even though i'm not making that music totally applies to me and i wish i knew this 10 years ago yeah so that's how my brother actually learned to mix from reading those kind of magazines and looking at these tutorials and stuff even yeah. more before me i i leaned on him a little too much in the first years of our career and uh now it's time for me to really like mm-hmm. you know sh- strap on my boots and do it myself to some degree so i i have i have i learned a lot from him i learned from other people that i sit with and i just take that knowledge and back to the studio and just try and make shit sound better than it was the year before. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, like it's, it's definitely daunting. It's, it is almost identical to learning a new language right? in a lot of ways or a yeah. new topic. And I mean, like I, I might've brought this up on the podcast before, but maybe not like when I did my album for drum code, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really have a, I did it when I was in between studios. I just moved to Berlin and I sent it to Adam. He's like, okay, this is great, but it sounds like shit. Like he's like, you need to read, <laughs> 
do the mix downs for every track. Right. And I was like really stressed out because I'm like, I thought I did a great job. Right. I don't know what else I could possibly do. And he's like, it's good, but this ain't it. Like it's gotta be more pro. And then when when I look at the when I looked at the tracks, it's like okay, a lot of it was in mono, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't. And I I started like looking up these dumb tips or whatever, and it totally changed everything. And I'm like, wow, these tracks are a whole other, you know. And so I learned a lot just in the course of one album, yeah. not as in like oh, it took me four years to figure this out, but like maybe it took me three months of mixing shit down again. So right. it's a necessity. Yeah, you gotta do it. I agree with that. Anyway, we're uh, we're coming up on a good amount of time here. We've gotten through quite a bit. Um, what about podcasts or anything? You got recent stuff. This will be out next week. So yeah, unfortunately, nothing like. Um, and we tried to get a few things lined up, but it didn't really pan out. So I think maybe we'll just take some of these mixes that we've recorded, self-release them, put them on our own, the Droid Podcast, which is actually kind of uh, extinct, or I don't know how you want to describe it, like. It's not active right now. Like the Droid podcast, as few as well as a few other things from Droid, have kind of like gone maybe to the wayside. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's definitely still plenty of people who are making techno and putting out records. I just, um, I didn't feel like there was a lot of enough attention on that podcast anymore for me to continue with it. So mm-hmm. I kind of put it to bed for now. But it's still there in the sense of like all the resources are there. Anytime I want to release whatever I want, whether it's my own mix or someone else's mix, mm-hmm. like. The iTunes thing is still there. The Droid website is still there. Like all the all the channels that I need that I need to be there for a podcast to be available have not disappeared. So yeah, I mean, I you know I'm, I've been thinking a lot lately about just self publishing some of these mixes because I mean, of course, I there are still some big podcasts left, but they don't. It used to be like if you did like a CLR mix, uh, right? Fucking the whole world heard about it. That's but now, true. now there's still some big things going around. But uh, even if you put a podcast out there, nobody gives a shit. Like you can <laughs> gain new fans, and it's better than not having one, right? But then there's you're and not there, getting the hits you're getting yeah. in the CLR mixes. Th- there's a lot of smaller podcasts, and listen, I have no problem with helping out, um, like the smaller guy, the smaller label, or whatever. But the problem often is is that they don't know what to do with that exposure because they they're not they don't really know how to run the business. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm gonna do a podcast, honestly, I, it takes me a few days to put it together. Not that I'm like doing it in Ableton, but I go through the tracks because yeah, I look at it like a mix CD in a way. Yeah, and um, so then you go through the effort and then you give it to like a small podcast and then it gets 800 <laughs> listens or something, just like this one. Yeah. And I'm just kidding. That's all right. <laughs> you never but know. um, so I'm just like well. I have these followers on my site. Why don't I just put it on myself? That almost guarantees more more views. And yeah. I, I think I'm going to do it, but I'm pretty lazy. Like even this podcast is uh, more effort than <laughs> than I prefer to put into sometimes. <laughs> but Fair yeah. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, of course, anytime you're in Berlin, you're welcome back on. Cool. We got to get you and your brother on at the yeah, same time. Yeah, the next time we'll get him on or, or me and him on. Um, we'll see. We're kind of taken uh, a step back from performing together for lots of reasons both financially and um you know practicalities but yeah it's also, tough as a duo i've done that you know but so. it's also it's also more fun for us to perform separately because we we have our own voice and yeah. uh, when we can perform by ourselves for ourselves we can like have it heard more mm-hmm. so there's less compromise so i think it's important and um i'm happy when he plays shows by himself and of course, I like to play shows by myself. I 
um, we play a lot in LA. Actually, we play like almost every weekend, but we don't always play techno. This like before I came here, I probably had like three gigs in LA. One gig I played Italo disco. Mm-hmm. Another one I played like hip hop, just, just for the homies, and then I played mm-hmm. a techno party. So like. We just like to do a lot of everything. Yeah, yeah, we just like to mix. I mean, it just doesn't matter where or what. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, not everything needs to be uh, like so dialed into like this is my one career, my one thing. It's about right. having fun. So, oh shit. That's, that's our way of having fun with that. And he also, he also does some uh, other sets that are kind of maybe more experimental or IDM mm-hmm. when he does his own thing. Awesome. Well, have a good one, man. Thank, Thank you for man. coming by. Ciao. Appreciate it. Bye, everybody.